0: I wonder, how often have you had a conversation with somebody who's not a Christian about what will happen when we die? Um, I guess it's probably quite rare. Um, Yet death is inescapable and it's no respecter of persons. It comes to young and old, rich and poor, good and bad, educated and uneducated. It's a universal equalizer. So I don't... People talk about it. In the 1970s, the um, anthropologist Jeffrey Gore claimed, the truth of the matter is that death has replaced sex as the forbidden subject of conversation in polite company. Well, why is that? Well, partly because people, I think, do not experience death as much as they would have done 100 years ago. Um, then it would have been all around us. Uh, people had big families because it was expected that some would die in infancy. Men went to war and never came back. Women died in childbirth. And not many people made it past middle age. Well today, thanks to medical advancements, we all live much longer. And the average age at which someone now first experiences the death of someone close to them is 20. And because I think people are less exposed to it, they are in more denial of it. In his book, um, Where Do We Go From Here, John Blanchard claims that uh, avoiding the subject shows the fear of death. And the different types of fear that he mentions are the fear of pain, uh, the fear of personal loss, the fear of the unknown, and the fear of meeting God, which may be tied into the fear of judgment. Some say, well, people do actually talk more about death these days uh, for example, the BBC presenter, Rachel Bland, um, who was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2016, started writing a blog. Um, to produce the BBC series, You, Me and the Big C. But then it's been more about the experience of living with a terminal illness than about asking the question, well, what will happen when I die? A recent phenomenon in the UK is the emergence of Death cafes. I don't know if you've heard of these. Um, At a death cafe, as it says there, this is from their website, uh, people drink tea, eat cake, and discuss death. Um, They say our aim is to increase awareness of death to help people make the most of their finite lives. So again, it's acknowledging that we will one day die, and therefore we can live our lives more fully now. And in some ways, that's not a bad thing. Um, But of course, it doesn't address the most important thing, which is what will happen when we do die. The Co-op Funeral Care uh, did a survey last year on the attitudes of British people to death, uh, which was called Making Peace with Death. But again, none of the questions addressed, um, what do people think will happen when they die? So what do most people actually think will happen? according to a survey done by the BBC in 2017. And they asked these questions. Um, and one if you uh, can guess what the responses were. So three responses. I believe that there is life after death. I mean, could be reincarnation, could be heaven, hell. Um, I do not believe that there's life after death. Um, don't know. Anybody want to shout out a guess? Um, what do you think the percentages were of those three categories? I do really want to hazard a guess. <laughs> yeah? I think that people were a bit more... I thought they obviously knew a bit more clearly than that, but, yeah, I can understand why you might say that. Any others? Well, let's give you the, the answers then, shall we? Um, 46. 46. And 8. So I must have, I would have thought more people would say, just don't know. Um... But um, in equal percentages, people think there is life after death or there's no life after death. Um, what about those who um, do think there is life after death? What form do they think um, that will, will take? Reincarnation, starting a new life in a different uh, physical body or form after death. Another life where your soul lives on, uh, e.g. heaven or hell or other views, which there are many. I'll put you out of your misery this time. These are the percentages. Um, 32% reincarnation, 65% another life, and 3% other views. Uh, you know, I've attend- attended or taken a number of funerals where there is a vague hope that things will turn out well, even if the people aren't necessarily um, Christians. They do think there is a life after death um, where your soul... Lives on. People don't talk about it much, they do, they. But what if, if we are Christians, what, do we talk about it much? Um, surely we will find it easier to talk about death because, you know, we know where we're going. Um, but when was the last time you spoke to another Christian about life after death? I think actually we rarely do talk about it, and I was trying to think of why is that the case. Uh, there may be a few reasons. Um, I wonder and maybe if we are ill ourselves and um, we believe that there is a God who can heal, um, if we start talking about death, maybe we're worried about um, giving the impression we don't really believe that God does heal. Um, or we don't want to worry those caring for us, um, give them undue pain or concern to make them think that um, we've almost given up on uh, carrying on. Um, And maybe the people caring for us don't want to talk about it either because they don't want to give the impression that they've given up on us if we are ill. Maybe it's because um, um, we're just so busy and focused on things that are going on now in life that we don't even give it any thought and we don't need to talk about it. There's more pressing issues in our lives right now. Well, the thing is that as Christians, we have something that others don't have. We have hope, don't we? We've been promised that we are going to a better place uh, Paul said, to live is Christ, to die is gain. He said, I'm going to a better place. The trouble is that there's still quite a lot where we're not sure about. You know, What exactly will happen when we do die? What will happen to our body? What will happen to our spirit? When will we see Jesus? When will we be judged, and what will that judgment be like? When will Jesus come again? What will heaven be like? There's loads of questions, and we're not going to be able to answer all of those questions this evening. Um, Some of them will be answered in the Revelation series um, over coming weeks. Um, But what we're going to focus on this evening um, is, uh, we're going to be looking later on in 1 uh, Corinthians 15, and the whole idea of what happens to the body. What is a resurrection body? What does it actually mean? But we're going to pray first of all, and Rob's going to lead us in our prayers. Then we'll have a reading from 1 Corinthians 15 and then we'll come back and look at what the Bible says about the questions that many of us will have.
1: So over to Rob. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can approach you because of the Lord Jesus and the way he has opened for us. It's nothing of our own. It is all you're doing. We thank you for that privilege, Lord. And Lord, tonight as we Consider the subject of, of dying and death and what happens next. Lord, that can for many of us be a, uh, a thing that will bring to the surface either our fear or our sadness, our sense of loss, maybe a sense of loss of hope. And Lord, we want to come to you, remembering the Lord Jesus and the way he was at the death of his friend, Lazarus. And Lord, we thank you for what that teaches us about approaching death. Thank you, Lord, that the sisters called him over and said, come and see, Lord, where they've laid him. And the Lord Jesus wasn't insensitive to it, yet his spirit was moved and he was troubled deeply. And your word says that he wept. And Lord, that gives us great comfort, knowing that the Lord understands death from a human perspective. So Lord, tonight we pray for those who feel the loss of loved ones. God of all comfort, pray you would draw near. God of mercy, we put our hope and our confidence in you. We thank you for your compassion. Lord, your word says that the Lord Jesus was tempted in every way but didn't sin. What a great high priest, someone who understands our weaknesses and our humanity and intercedes for us. We thank you that he has power over death. We thank you that perfect love casts out fear. And we can leave our doubts and our worries with you. And we can live a life that is a new life, born of you, that is one of hope, as we trust in you. So Lord, we thank you for the privilege of being able to pray together, to come to you. And Lord, we think of other things going on at the moment in the life of the church. Lord, we thank you that today is a pledge day where we can recommit ourselves to serving you and serving one another. And we do want to thank you, Lord, for the variety of gifts that you have given us here in this fellowship. Thank you for each person, the way you've gifted them, their character, their understanding, their approach to things, their practical gifts, their spiritual gifts. Pray, Lord, that you would help each of us know how and where to use those We pray that you would give us wisdom individually and together, that we may serve each other and serve you. And Lord, we thank you for the opportunity on Monday for the women to come together and hear Becca speak, and we pray for all those that are planning to go, that they would indeed go, and you might speak to their hearts, we pray, that they make may make uh, good friendships as well, and together may explore you and understand you better. And Lord, we want to commit the week ahead to you, whatever that entails for each of us. We do commit ourselves to you. We want to put our full confidence and trust in you to depend on nothing but you. And pray that you might use us to be lights in a dark world, to be salt where we need to be, Lord. That you, by your spirit, might reveal yourself to those we come into contact with that you, indeed, would be glorified. You, the God who has power over death, swallowed up in victory. Praise be to the Lord Jesus. Amen.
2: The reading is taken from 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, starting at verse 35 and carrying on to the end of the chapter. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish! What you sow does not come from, come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another. And star differs from star in splendor. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last, Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash,
0: Thanks, Marian. Let's pray as we ask for the Lord's help to understand this, this passage together. Father God, this is a, a sensitive subject. It's an emotional subject. It's difficult to, to fully understand, given our finite minds. And so we do ask for the help of your spirit this evening, that he would help us to understand what this passage says. That we would have a greater idea of what will happen to us when we die. Lord, give us a confidence in what Jesus has achieved for us. Give us a confidence in where we are going. And give us a joy, Lord. Give us an ability to talk about this with great hope and confidence. In Jesus' name, amen. So the questions we're going to be looking at this evening, those questions of verse 35. How are the dead raised? And with what kind of body will they come? This comes after a long passage that explains because Jesus was raised from the dead, we too can have confidence that we will be raised from the dead. As it says in verse 21, For since death came through a man... The resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But for what you can get there, what about the the spirit though? What what happens to the spirit or the soul when we die? Well, I think the soul and the spirit are often used um, pretty much interchangeably to refer to the inner person. Um, So when Mary is given the news that she's going to be the mother of Jesus Christ, uh, she says, my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. The whole person, therefore, consists of body and soul, or spirit. At death, the spirit is separated from the body. So in Ecclesiastes, it says the dust returns to the ground it came from, and the spirit returns to the God who gave it. The soul cannot die, which is why Jesus said, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. At death, the soul of the believer goes immediately to be with the Lord, and that of an unbeliever to a place of separation from him. Hence, we have the story of the the rich man and Lazarus in Luke 16, who are both fully conscious Now the return of Christ, the dead will be raised physically and body and soul will be reunited. And after final judgment, unbelievers will go away to eternal punishment and the righteous, we're told, will go to eternal life. So coming back to the question, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? The first point that uh, Paul makes is that we will keep our individuality. A common view out there today is that um, after death we all somehow merge into the the universe. Um, we were part of this whole thing of energy that goes on out there, which I find terribly depressing um, because it means we we therefore no longer exist as individuals. We just become part of the universe. But the Bible teaches us something quite different, doesn't it? The way Paul chooses to answer the question is first to emphasize that it's quite normal for something in God's creation to die before it comes to life again in a different form. It says there in verse 36, have a look. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined. And to each kind of seed he gives its own body. You don't take a beautiful plant um, cut it off and plant it in the ground. If you took one of those uh, um, tulips down and planted it in the ground it would just die, wouldn't it? No, you plant the seed and what comes from that seed miraculously is a new plant that is similar to the old plant, because that's where it came from. But in order for that new plant to grow, the old plant had to die first. It never ceases to amaze me how plants will die off in the, um, in the autumn and in the winter, and then come spring, they come back to life. And Paul uses this description to help the, the Corinthians understand the concept of the resurrection. Our earthly bodies will die, whether it's after years of debilitating illness, after a cancer that has destroyed our insides, or whether it's a young, healthy body that is tragically killed in an accident. Either way, the body will die and the flesh will rot. We cannot enter the new earth with those bodies, but they will be the seed for our new resurrection bodies. In the same way that the plant has continuity with the seed from which it came, so it will be with our bodies. We're not told exactly what that continuity will be, but we will retain something of our individuality and personality. After all, you don't plant tulip bulbs and get daffodils. Unless, like me, you don't really know your bulbs. The once planted a load of what I thought were nice bluebells in a wooded area of the garden. I was surprised to see a load of tulips grow up. There's continuity with the old bodies, the seed, and yet, God will give us new bodies of his choosing with their own distinctiveness. The body that the new plant has is the body that God has chosen for it. As it says in verse 38, to each kind of seed he gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. That's why Paul goes on to highlight the variety in creation. Difference between men and and animals, fish, birds, between heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, between the different stars. Because we'll all be different, just as we're all different today. There's no limit to the variations that God can choose. Just as there are billions of stars, God is able to arrange an infinite variety in mankind. Now, it does raise a question, well, will we recognize one another in the kingdom to come? Well, the answer is yes, Um, I think, because uh, firstly in his letter to the Thessalonians, Paul is giving them encouragement about those who have died. And he says, we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. There will be a reunion with their loved ones. Um, There wouldn't be much comfort if they didn't recognize them, would it? Likewise with the example of Jesus himself who, who came back to life in a resurrection body which was different from his, his earthly body. He could now appear in a, in a room with, with locked doors. Uh, his disciples didn't immediately recognize him but then they soon saw that it was him. They recognized who it was. Well, we, we will retain our individuality. Uh, the new body comes from the old. But the good news is that we will get better bodies. Um, that's a relief, you might think. Um, in what way will they be different? Well, four key differences are mentioned here in this passage in verses 42 to 44. The first of those is that uh, the body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. We don't need to be told that our current bodies are perishable. Um, some of you may be more aware of that than others as things begin to break down and don't work as well as they used to. I'm beginning to feel that now. Um, dodgy back, dodgy elbow, dodgy eyesight is all breaking down. Um, you may be thinking, well, you've got nothing to worry about. Our bodies wear out. You know, they're, they're prone to all sorts of disease. And despite all the attempts to prolong life and youth, we cannot escape death eventually. But our future bodies will be imperishable. They won't grow old. They won't be subject to decay. They won't die. In the words of Revelation, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Secondly, it's sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. What does that mean to be sown in dishonor? it remains whether you have a a state funeral with all their, the dignity you can muster or bodies are piled into mass graves in the killing fields of cambodia ultimately there's nothing that is much unhonorable about a dead body all the status and riches someone may have had in this life are left at the grave unless of course um They were a believer who put their trust in Jesus Christ, in which case their body, together with that of the Cambodian peasant who was a fellow believer, will be raised in glory to meet their master, their saviour. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. I think the reason why death is the, the last taboo, why many people don't like to talk about it in today's society, is that it's a reminder of just how weak and vulnerable we really are as human beings. We like to think we have everything under control, be it disease or or natural disaster or the terrorist threat, Um, but actually we are at the whim of our creator. You can watch uh, the hospital programs. I don't know if you watch things like Casualty and Holby City, if they're still going. Um, Doctors trying desperately to resuscitate a person who's dying, and sometimes they might succeed. But ultimately, they won't, because the body is weak. But the risen body is full of divine power, not human power, and it will be able to live forever. And fourthly, it is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. That's quite a hard one to really get your head around, isn't it? And because um, what exactly is a spiritual body? Surely that's a contradiction. Either you, um, you have a spirit or a body. Uh, how do you have both? Will we have new bodies or will our spirits simply survive? Well, I think it might help if we carry on reading in verse um, 44. There it says, if there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural And after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. When we are born again, the Holy Spirit comes to live within us. And so we become spiritual beings. But we still have our old sinful natural bodies. Um, In the life to come, when we experience the resurrection, we will no longer have those sinful bodies. We'll have a new body that is not tainted in any way by sin. And so we will be fully spiritual. Our new bodies will be physical bodies, but unsuited to the spiritual life, but suited to the spiritual life of the world to come. The natural body, on the other hand, was created for this world and will be of no use in the world to come. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. So we'll keep our individualities, we'll get better bodies. Uh, But the question remains, who or what is it that makes that change possible? Is it something everyone can look forward
2: to?
0: We've just read in verse 45 that the first man, Adam, was created from the dust of the earth. Adam means from the, the earth. Back in Genesis 2, it says the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground... And breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. The man was created. He had life breathed into him. He became a living being. But after the fall, it was a life that was perishable. That would eventually die. Unless unless new life was breathed into him. And that was the role of Jesus. The last Adam. Not a living, created being, but a life-giving spirit. A man, not of the earth but of heaven. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this, he asked. Jesus makes it possible for us to be raised to life because he himself went through that process. Having taken our punishment on the cross, Having died, as he had promised, he came back to life. He conquered death. And that's why we can say death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is how it is possible for us to inherit the kingdom of God. That is how it is possible for us all to be changed, for the dead to be raised, because Jesus has been victorious over death. But what about the second question? Is it something that everyone can look forward to? And the answer there is is sadly no. Because having said that he is the resurrection and the life... Jesus then says, the one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? He asks Martha. She replies, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. And it is only if we believe that Jesus is the one... Who can change us, who can breathe new life into us through his spirit, that we can look forward to a glorious future with a resurrection body? The alternative is almost too awful to to contemplate, because all the dead will be raised, but while some will enjoy eternal life, others will suffer the punishment of having rejected the one who came to offer them life. And so we're all given that choice to make. Will we choose life? Or will we choose death? Or if we have chosen life, um, how does this passage help us today? How does the fact that we can look forward to that day when we receive resurrection bodies, how, how does that help us live in the present? Or going to the end of his explanation about the resurrection bodies and Jesus' victory over death, Paul concludes in verse 58 with these words. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Stand firm. There are many ways in which we can be tempted to not stand firm, um, to allow ourselves to be moved. First of all, if we are suffering, Physically or mentally. If we feel trapped inside a body or a mind that doesn't do what we want it to do. And we feel that it's just not going to get any better. Yes, the doctors may be able to do something to keep it going for a while, but the aches, the pains are not going to go away. And if you are someone who used to be very active, but is now in that situation, that can be very difficult to accept. But if we have the reassurance that our bodies and minds will get better because we will one day receive new bodies and new minds, that is incredibly encouraging, isn't it? That in the internal scheme of things, 10, 20, or even 30 years of physical and emotional pain and hardship may seem more bearable. And so if we fully appreciate what it means to have new bodies, new minds, the temptation to get depressed and frustrated and disillusioned with God may go away. Secondly, if we're struggling spiritually, we may be okay physically, but we're just struggling in our relationship with God. Our, our first love has gone. Our faith is, is not alive. Maybe because of the strain of living in a, in a material world that is so unspiritual, as we are hearing this morning, a world that seeks to to suffocate what little spirituality we have left in us. We may be filled with anxiety. We may be worried about our own death. We're beginning to question ourselves whether God can really bring us to life again, whether he will really give us a new body. It just seems so difficult to, to believe. Well, if that is you, then... Think again about the resurrection of Jesus. Turn back to those accounts of his resurrection in the Gospels. Examine the evidence, because if Jesus can come back from the dead, and there's plenty of proof that he has, then there's no reason why we can't. Jesus is risen. Death has been swallowed up in victory. That is fundamental to our Christian faith. The risen Lord will return. And if God is firm in his plans and his promises, then we too can be confident of the future. Stand firm. And secondly, give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Why? Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It's when we are confident of the future, that we will inherit the kingdom of heaven we can then devote our energies to making the most of our time in this world, knowing that we are storing up for ourselves an eternal reward. So even if you feel you are laboring on with no signs of of gospel growth or fruit in the lives of those to whom you're, you're ministering, don't give up. Don't give up. We won't see the full results of the work that we have done until the age to come, when the trumpet will sound. So keep on going. Sometimes God does give us encouragements, and that is a a great thing to pray for, that God will answer our prayers, not just for those for whom we are praying, but also for ourselves, that we'll be encouraged in our work, in our ministry. Sometimes we won't see any immediate result but our work is not in vain because it has eternal value. If we trust in our victorious Savior, we cannot lose. Nothing we can do for our victorious Lord will ever be in vain. So just keep in mind the sounding of the trumpet when Jesus will come, when he will gather his followers from all nations to be with him. Well, as we finish, don't allow society's view of God All those people who think there is no life after we die and therefore just get on and make the most of this world make it a a life that is just enjoying your own pleasure don't listen to those lies listen to the truth of the gospel We don't know exactly what our bodies will be like. We can't fully comprehend them. But we've been given some promises here, haven't we, this evening. We know our bodies will be imperishable. We know they will be glorious. We know they'll be powerful. We know they will be spiritual. And may that truth draw us to Jesus Christ. May it encourage us maybe to put our faith in him for the first time. May it reassure us in our faith. If we are worried about our own death, or if we're grieving the death of someone close to us, because death has been swallowed up in victory. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for the the wonderful promises that we have been reading about this evening. We thank you that it's because Jesus was raised to life that we can have confidence that when he comes back, we too, if we've died by that stage, will be raised to life. And if we're still living when he comes again, he'll, we will be gathered to, to be with him. And at that time, Lord, we will be given new resurrection bodies that will be imperishable, that will be glorious, that will be powerful, that we will, that will be spiritual. Lord, we we long for that day. And so, Lord, we do pray that you would give us a greater excitement and anticipation that we are looking forward to a far better future than anything we can experience in this life. And so we pray, Lord, that we would live our lives in the light of that truth. Help us to share that wonderful truth with those who don't yet know it. For those who think that this life is all there is. Lord, let us give them hope, we pray, in the same way you have given us hope.
2: In Jesus' name, amen.